0: say that about emily bronte that girl needed
1: a hug and a nap you think hemingway doesn't need a hug and a nap (laughs) i mean he's doing the forever nap now but hopefully he's getting (laughs) hugs in hell don't worry
0: And that's what we really wanted to talk about today is we think Hemingway's in
1: hell. And this is why he's totally in hell. If that exists, that is where that (laughs) man is. And he's loving it. He is challenging the devil to an arm wrestling match every single day. And the devil's like, dude, get out of here. I'm tired of this. Well, hello, Lillian. How are you today? I am doing so good, Piper. Long time no see. Yeah, it's not like we recorded just last night.
0: (laughs) Uh, Listeners, we're doing it again. We did a weird, we we are on a slightly weird recording schedule because we have holidays and travels coming up, and so
1: we're going to talk about it because we can't not. (laughs) Absolutely. It's a way to start the episode. So... (laughs) Um Lillian, so it is November, um, which Mm -hmm. for those within the creative writing community might know is commonly referred to as the National Novel Writing Month or Nano Remo. Um, this is a time of year when writers are encouraged to use the month of November to attempt to complete a novel. And based on the like website and the organization that kind of oversees a lot of this stuff, um, they go off of like a certain word count, but Pretty much any kind of writing project that you complete within that time span counts. Um, I have never been able to do this. Like I Mm. physically can't write a novel in a month. It's not possible for me. But I have been actively trying to use November to be way more proactive with my creative writing. So I'm really excited on that note to know that we get to talk about writing that you and I have done, especially around a topic that we love. Mm mm-hmm. And my experience writing, I also
0: love the idea of nanorimo. I have a very romantic idea of me as someone who would do writing. Um, and then you like look at the, the number of things that I published one Jane Eyre fan fiction for my podcast. And, <laughs> and suddenly, it's so much, it's so much less realistic. You
1: have a short story as well. Then it's not on the internet. I got no. nervous and didn't put it out there. <laughs> but you still wrote it and shared it with people, so that's still a story completed. With person with
0: Piper, but it does count. Yes. I have I have a lot of creative writing that I do and then not finish and not share with people, which is sort of like my main jam. But I do really enjoy it. I know I always think of you as like a let's go to a coffee shop and just write for a couple hours and enjoy ourselves and it's just a blast and hey. um Yeah, and so that's why when we were talking about Jane Eyre fanfiction back in May, which we did have to go dig up what episode that was, we both wrote our own Jane Eyre fanfictions and we have talked
1: about talking about them for the podcast since then, Mm -hmm. um, and we're finally getting around to it. We are. So that's what we're doing here today, guys. We're going to be essentially interviewing each other. It's like an Mm -hmm. author-on-author interview about (laughs) the stories that we wrote and the fun that we had, like diving into trying to write as these characters or about these characters um before we dive into that though I real quick have to say I think you just gave us the perfect setup Lillian of talking about how you (laughs) haven't published your work you are Emily Bronte and I am Charlotte (laughs) being like come on let's do it let's publish these stories so you'll know that when you die and everyone reads your amazing writing you'll become America's next greatest author
0: yeah, I yeah. listen. As a teen, did I imagine that that was true? Absolutely. <laughs> Do I reread things that I wrote as a teen and go, that girl needed a
1: hug and a nap, not to be an author? <laughs> <laughs> hey, that I think can be said about every great writer ever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess, honestly, you could say that about Emily Bronte. Yes. That girl needed a hug and a nap. <laughs> You think Hemingway doesn't need a hug and a nap? I mean, he's doing the forever nap now, but hopefully he's getting (laughs) hugs in hell. Don't worry. and that's what we really wanted to talk about today is we think Hemingway's in hell and this is why he's totally in hell if that exists that is where that (laughs) man is (laughs) and he's loving it he is challenging the devil to an arm wrestling match every single day and the devil's like dude get out of here I'm tired of this so our thesis is if heaven is if hell is real Hemingway is there
0: yes that's the title of the episode please don't make that the title of the episode (laughs)
1: be like wait what's going
0: on (laughs) (laughs) they've taken a hard turn for no reason
1: oh my goodness okay so (laughs) Lillian we're gonna start with your story um because Mm -hmm. you wrote us your fan fiction takes place um in the context of Jane Eyre and mine takes place after the end of the story so we figured it'd be best to kind of address this chronologically but as your first ever fan fiction Yes. I am so curious to know what was kind of your process when you were approaching this challenge to say, okay, I'm going to write about Jane Eyre. What scene do I want to tackle? What characters do I want to dive into? What were you thinking about when you were doing that?
0: Yeah. So it sort of was a came to me all at once sort of thing, but is very, anybody who take, takes the time to read my work, first of all, thank you. Oh my God. Um, but you're going to see that like, it is a product of this podcast. Like it's, uh, it's very much, we were reading fan fictions for the podcast. I was having that moment of like, well, what if I did write something? Like what would I even write about? And the scene that I chose to write about is uh, Rochester and Jane's meeting. And the reason that I chose to write about that was because we have talked about the idea of it being a motorcycle, not a horse Mm -hmm. in um, multiple times if it was modern. And I was like, so then I started asking myself questions of like, okay, well, why is Jane walking on a dark road in the middle of the fall then? Um, And so this idea that like, it's this small town and she doesn't have a car or even like a bicycle, like she's just kind of like out here um, going for walks. And she's like, deeply bored um because she's because for the same reasons Jane's bored in um 1847 like she's alone in this house with a little girl and an old lady like that's the only friends that she could have and um so I started thinking about what that experience would be like and how Jane would be reflecting on that as she walks down the road and um what the experience of that sort of like almost hauntingness uh that and that like your, your imagination runs away with you as you're walking down this road. Um, and rather than seeing something and thinking it's a guy trash, she, um, hears something and thinks that it's a spooky situation. So, uh, I wrote it all in one, just like foul swoop. And then, uh, called you and went, hey, we should write fan fictions for the podcast. P.S. I did,
1: yay! I, I remember. did write one <laughs> <laughs> that blew my mind, and I was like, whoa, hang on, okay, <laughs> the level has just been set. I now have to meet it.
0: <laughs> um, so yeah, and we, I would love to talk about it in more depth, but I know you were gonna. We Piper has graciously offered to uh, read a selection from my story for me because as any listener of this show knows uh when someone tells me to read I suddenly cannot um, it's very a uh, spooky for me um and so piper is going piper is has her NPR voice that she's going to whip out for this um and
1: uh welcome to story time listeners welcome to story time indeed So just to set the stage, we've already had um, a good little section of Lillian's story, which is kind of describing just the initial um, thoughts, kind of going through Jane's head as she's contemplating her current situation, walking down this road uh, to deliver mail in town on Mrs. Fairfax's behalf. So something else is out there too, almost a growling noise, like a very large cat purring or some sort of monster. I try to convince myself that, too, is my imagination, but it's getting closer. My heart is racing. A part of me wants to take off at a run, but what good would that do? I can fall in the mud and actually get lost. I just need to stay on the road, and one way or another, I'll be back. It's probably more scared of me than I am of it, right? The road curves again, but the noise keeps getting closer. Whatever it is keeps getting bigger and bigger in my mind, I can see the headline now. Local girl dies, in an animal attack in the woods. She's remembered for nothing by no one. Fun. A tingling awareness crawls up my spine and I turn around before I can stop myself. There is something on the road behind me. It's large and black. Maybe a coyote? No, it's too big. It's also moving too fast. Guy trash my brain supplies unhelpfully. Yes, that's it. A mystical beast from old English fairy tales that come for you. I take a step to the side of the road, bracing myself for whatever is coming and readying my muscles to run or hide if it is, in fact, some beast coming to lead me astray. Then a mortal man, dressed in all black leather, flies past me on a motorcycle. Nice, Jane. Big, scary bike. I'm about to laugh at my own wild imaginings when I see the bike suddenly spin out and fall over, sending the rider one way and the bike another. Without thinking, I ran forward, praying that I didn't just watch somebody die. Luckily, before I get there, the man sits up, pulling off his helmet. He's okay enough to swear like a sailor. He certainly has a way with curse words, using them in a combination I have never heard before. It might even be funny if I wasn't so worried he was hurt. Sir, are you okay? The man turns toward me, hissing in pain at the sudden movement. Yep, I'm great, totally fine, never been better. Please keep walking and pretend you never saw this. Yes, so definitely a man.
0: I find my own writing very funny.
1: (laughs) It's great, dude. I'm so ecstatic as someone who is like, you know, done writing for a long time and loves to like share with people and read like what other people are doing to have one of my bestest and oldest friends, like do a creative thing like this. And then I get to kind of see like, what is your voice in writing? So I feel like that is such a look into another version of ourselves to be like, yeah. this is how I see the world or how I interpret the world and I can put that into writing. So I love getting to see that come through when you're writing, Lillian.
0: Yeah, I think this is something that when I think of stories, I'm curious about where, what, how you sort of think of stories when you first imagine them. But whenever I'm inspired to write something or like think of something uh, like this, it always comes from like the people first and the situation that they're in and like the choices that they would make. And filling in other details around that, it gets harder the further away from the people you get. So like the hardest part for me in writing this was establishing the physical space Mm -hmm. and like describing, because it's that scene, it's the nature and the space around her is like so critical. And like being able to like feel that kind of like creepy, magical moment of the fog is the critical part. And writing that was like, that was the hardest part for me, because that's not the the dialogue between them and kind of the back and forth that they have, and um, Jane's internal monologue about Rochester, that's the most fun. like that was the part that like I was ready for. Awesome. But I'm curious when you write things, not to talk about you instead of me, but when you write <laughs> things, what kind of the nugget of start comes for you.
1: Um, so I think for me, a lot of times, at least when I'm doing fan fiction, um, I like to often think of scenarios, um, mm. cause normally my approach to fan fiction is almost always I have like a romantic pairing that I want to have more content of. So I yeah. try to tell a story for them. Um, and I think a lot of the ways that I get ideas for different scenes or different stories is I'm like how fun would it be if they found themselves in this situation or what yeah. would they do like if this problem occurred kind of a thing so i tend to work from scenario first Um, Mm. and I am someone who, if once you guys read my story, which we'll have both of these on the website, um, mine, I love describing settings, um, Mm -hmm. and like building that kind of, uh, to like set the scene sort of. So that is one of my favorite things. I think I write dialogue pretty all right. Um, but it's something that definitely slows me down the most. So Mm. I think it's interesting. We have this kind of vice versa because I will love to like, you know, describe i i'm writing a titanic fan fiction right now <laughs> and i just spent like five paragraphs describing the gardens surrounding this estate because it's also a metaphor for the main character's like inner psyche <laughs> and i just i'm like having so much fun with that um but then i get to the dialogue stuff and i kind of have to pause because i'm like okay like i know how this sounds in my head how does this actually sound out loud things like that so
0: yeah where like for me i just see We've talked about this before that like the way that I picture Jane Eyre and honestly, most stories in my head is, has a very similar feeling to me of like the way the national theater did Jane Eyre, mm-hmm. where it's like the setting is stripped away. It's the vibe. <laughs> like mm-hmm. And so I really just see the people and the way that people are interacting. And that's the same thing. Like I could kind of see a road. I could see the idea of this bike, but like, it really was about like, how would Rochester and Jane speak to each other now? What would Jane be thinking about Rochester? In these moments, um, if it was modern day, like um, and it just I think that's where that's where the inspiration came from. I also had way, way more fun than I thought I would have sneaking in little other Jane Eyre like bits and like putting the guy (laughs) trash in there specifically of like, why would Jane think a motorcycle is a guy trash? (laughs) Right. And and then what would she think to herself about like if a t- 19 year old girl now was walking down the street and thought there was a guy trash. What would she, <laughs> what would she think to herself? And I think that idea of like, cool, good day for sure. That's a guy trash.
1: She's uh-huh. <laughs> <Jeez. laughs> Unhelpful. You crazy. <laughs> I love it. Um, there's a lot of questions that I want to ask you. One of which, oh, so with the like modern, the choice to set it in a modern day setting. And then also you made a reference, um, that it also takes place in America, um mm. kind of thoughts on that were you just like why
0: um there's a couple reasons one america has more spaces that are isolated like that mm-hmm. the uk has like so much public transportation um that would make it really easy for her to like hop on a train almost anywhere or a bus um where america would have somewhere that's like far enough away from everything that Mm -hmm. that feeling of isolation that you get with Thornfield, you could only really create that in rural America today, or at least that's the only places that I'm familiar with that. So our listeners in the UK or wherever, feel free to correct me, Um, (laughs) but like truly not being able to go anywhere or do anything. There are places in the US today that if you do not have a car, you can walk two hours to town to Mm -hmm. mail a letter. And that's the only thing you can do. And so that's, that's kind of where that was. The other thing too, was I was, everything I was writing was deeply American. And so (laughs) it was like, it just makes more sense if it's America too. There you go. Um, But yeah, (laughs) the, the modern setting I think was really just because you and I have talked about that so much Mm -hmm. that so many of those bits and pieces had already kind of existed in my head that when it sort of all came together and I just wrote. I I think I wrote this in like max an hour, like it was really fast. It was very much something that like, I had the whole story in my head. And it was a race to get it down on paper before I forgot it.
1: (laughs) Very cool. I love it. With the like going off of the idea of the motorcycle. I love seeing that realized because I think when we kind of first like talked about that, it was like so exciting because it felt like such Mm -hmm. a good comparison. Um, And I feel like the like the weight of it of like trying to like Mm -hmm. push this bike up off the ground and then I love that you made it so that she was able to lift the motorcycle because she's strong she's capable that way but it was more about the idea of him describing the technical elements of the bike (laughs) to be like, oh wait, this sounds a little too complicated. It's like, okay, yeah, just like lead me over to it. So did you do any Googling about that? I did. I
0: Googled because I, I was thinking about it and I was like, well, a motorcycle being on like that and just approaching a motorcycle that's on, like that sounds actually really dangerous to me. Mm-hmm. Um, And I don't know how they would get out of that situation. And I was like, but it feels like the kind of thing where wouldn't they turn off? Like, would they turn off if someone fell off a bike? So um, a lot of motorcycles do have features where um, if they fall in a particular way, the engine will cut off for the safety of the rider. Um, so that's sort of what the way that he falls in my mind, um, It it triggers that as he gets kind of like, I picture the bike sliding one way and him just sort of like letting go and intentionally sliding away. My dad and his brothers and a lot of my cousins um, we're all very into motorcycles. My dad still has a motorcycle. Um, and, uh, so he talked about that experience a lot of like what he only crashed his motorcycle once. Um, and he was very lucky because a similar thing happened where his bike got launched into the road, but he did not. That's good. Um, and so I was trying to find a scenario where like, how could he be hurt enough that Jane needs to help him? But not so hurt that like it's not call nine one one get an ambulance time
1: right um, so that would ruin the romance <laughs>
0: um,
1: <laughs> and like so, oh my god he's unconscious and his leg is severed
0: <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> so um, romantic
0: <laughs> so he so that's where like if he if you kind of get thrown away from a motorcycle um, you could he could hurt his leg he could be a little bit banged up and sort of in shock. Mm-hmm. Um, but not so injured that he couldn't take the motorcycle away. But the idea of starting a motorcycle, like, it's not even necessarily that it's technical. It's like you have to hit the right thing at the right time. Like, starting a motorcycle is not easy on purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, if a little kid gets behind a wheel of a car and sticks the keys in the car and turns the keys, that's bad, but it's not terrible. Um, right. If it happens with a motorcycle, it is worse. <laughs>
1: yeah, for sure. <laughs> um. So, yeah. This bike, by the way, it's definitely like an old Harley chopper, right? That's what you're <laughs> picturing. Not like the comfortable, like, side saddle, long road trip motorcycles. Yeah, I'm picturing like a big
0: black motorcycle um, that is like built for speed but also like weird terrain because um rochester likes to go off on weird side roads awesome Um, that's the kind of man he is We know that
1: (laughs) and last week's episode we talked about how um rochester would have modified his cloak to be extra edgy when he's walking (laughs) the moors this same this rochester is like no i need all-wheel drive so i can off-road in my sweet shopper when i'm feeling gloomy (laughs)
0: Well, and I also picture him. So here's just another fun fact about like fun fact about how much I know about motorcycles in a weird way. Um, so when you get injured in the way that like he fell off this motorcycle, like the worst thing is if you're not wearing like the right clothes for it. Mm -hmm. Um, which I do see, I live in a small town that is right along some bluffs. So there's a lot of motorcyclists who kind of come along the way here. So like, He's wearing a helmet, he's wearing a leather jacket, and he's wearing um, t- pants that weren't going to get ripped up by the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're all black. I mean, Rochester's wearing all black. Do we? Yeah, <laughs> of <this> course. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, my one note about the helmet. So I love that. Yeah, he like takes it off. And I imagine, you know, a good old like frustrated shake of the hair kind of a thing but um i noticed that when in your ending um you don't describe the helmet at all so it could just be implied that he grabbed that too but otherwise he just went off without the helmet and i was like hey wait safety (laughs) Yep, it's definitely it's for
0: sure that like that was a choice that i made and not a thing i forgot But I picture him taking it off. And like, in the same way that I used to do this a lot more as a kid, because I'd fall a lot more as a kid. But like, if you ever fall, and you just have this moment of like, I don't know how bad this was. Mm -hmm. And you like, look physically at your hands to see how scraped up they are to Mm -hmm. see if you're okay. Like, I picture him like ripping off his gloves and pulling off his helmet and looking at the helmet to be like, Am I okay? Yeah, like, seriously. <laughs> and the whole
1: time just being like, fuck, man. Oh, God. am right in front of this kid. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, so one detail that I, I made note of, Um. this is something that's earlier on in your story in describing when Jane is kind of like been going through the house and is wondering about her employer who she hasn't met yet and you talk about um when she's in the library and looking at certain books and the ones that Mm -hmm. caught her attention are the ones behind his desk which are all travel memoirs and how he's made like notes in um the like the sides and highlighted things and she can get kind of an idea of who this person is by reading like his notes in these books um Mm -hmm. so that was a really cool way to kind of initiate a sort of an initial kind of like look behind the screen of who this man is. Um, mm-hmm. And I also thought it was very interesting. And I was like, this is a very bold Jane move. Cause I feel like it's almost like diaries that she's found. And she's like, no, I'm just going to keep reading them. <laughs> well, cause I just imagine like, Mrs. Fairfax seeing how bored
0: Jane is and being like, "You can, there's, a th- go check out the library. Like, there's a bunch of books," um, and her not really realizing that they're private until she's already read them, and then that way that you can kind of get sucked in. Like, if you've ever had, I think everyone at some point has had a moment where they're doing something really innocent, like borrowing somebody's computer or like checking on somebody's phone, and it's like open to text or something, and you. Accidentally sort of skim them and then you like close them and move on or like whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's certain things that are like a little too interesting to move on. So you didn't mean to read someone's texts, mm-hmm. but you are reading them now. <laughs> <laughs> like, like my po- I didn't mean to do this, mm-hmm. but um the first thing in your text was uh so-and-so can go f themselves. And I needed to know what that was about. <laughs>
1: It makes me think of how in the, um, it's to, the 2006 one, right? Uh, with um, Ruth. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, Wilson. Yes. When she is kind of also has a similar exploring scene. Mm-hmm. And it's when they're like really trying to give him this sort of naturalist background. And she's getting mm-hmm. a sense of that by looking at his, all the things in his library. So I liked that detail.
0: Yeah. And I like, I, one of the things that I really loved about that moment right before Jane meets Rochester in the book and in a lot of the adaptations is Jane's desire for something else and something more mm-hmm. and her wanting, you know, as we've all talked about with like the best adaptation to journey on. Yes. Um, <laughs> and kind of what, what that would, how that would manifest and how Rochester would be a key to that for her.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. And Mm -hmm. you can imagine that once they do start talking and bonding, that they're just a couple of travel nerds um, just watching Anthony Bourdain (laughs) and like planning their next trip.
0: (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly like that, like being home and cozy. Cause that that's one of the things that I think I picture Rochester and Jane having a lot of similarities with where they're both like relatively introverted people. Like Rochester and be that extrovert in big groups but he would rather be sitting by the fire just talking to Jane. Mm-hmm. Um and so I picture them having that like dual interest of like they want adventure, they want to go experience other things and do other things, but they also really do enjoy kind of sitting at home and yeah. being cozy and uh so travel books and um and the idea of being interested in like history and stuff too, like that's part of what I found interesting about Rochester's commentary, modern Rochester's commentary on past Rochester Mm -hmm. types, Mm -hmm. I found that idea really interesting of like, what would a Rochester now think about the type of character, uh, the type of person he would have been in the 1840s?
1: I love it. No, it's super fun. Um, Did you have any particular like actors in mind when you were picturing this or do you have your own kind of amalgamation of like what you think these modern day people look like?
0: Um, sort of amalgamations, like they're both pretty generic looking in my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, a white woman with brown hair, not too dissimilar to myself. (laughs) Um, And, uh, then a white man with, I do imagine him with the little scruff, like that, that beard where you like, don't quite shave it.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, uh, and then I, I do picture not short hair, but like nice clean cut. Is how I picture his hair. Cool. Um, I used yeah, to. Yeah, and then in all black leather.
1: Awesome, <laughs> I love
0: it. Um, I think it's it's uh five o'clock shadow.
1: Mm, Um, Yeah. It's
0: not quite, it's slightly more than a five o'clock shadow is what I picture him
1: with. So I know, I feel like that's kind of like the, the terminology I would always just like say a random time. So I'd be like, yeah, 12 o'clock, (laughs) five o'clock, two o'clock shadow. And Sam's like, what the hell are you talking about? And I'm like, I don't know. Is it different at different lengths at different times?
0: But anyway, (laughs) I love the idea of you saying to Sam, your beard's really 3 PM right now.
1: beard is 25 years (laughs) because he's like never shaved it down to the, (laughs) down to the skin. (laughs) 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 So sorry listeners. I didn't mean to poison your ears with that. He has a full beard. That's, that's all that you need to know. Um, But cool. Um, Any like kind of final thoughts that you want to share about this writing experience or like getting to kind of tackle this property and characters that we love
0: yeah I mean I think my only thing would be like I had such a blast doing this and like um I think it's, it's it's something that I want to do more of in general is creative writing um mm-hmm. and I think this was a space where it was like it was like a really fun writing exercise almost of like what, how would you describe, like, cause I can picture some of the things when you're creating something from scratch, um, it's so hard to like figure out what the setting should be, for example, or like the dialogue, as you mentioned, is sometimes a place that other people struggle with where like, that's where it comes from for me. But like the, the setting is so much easier when I'm like, okay, so I need to create something isolated, but in 2023, um, so that would have to be in America. Like I need to create a situation where Jane has, has to walk. And so she's walking on a road that most people drive on. So why would that be true? Um, and then I need it to be, I need her not to know that that's a motorcycle right away. So what does that need to look like? But I also want it to feel very Jane Eyre and like very much like this moment in the book. So how would this be different? Like it was a lot easier to do that with, all of these existing pieces versus like fully from scratch.
1: Yeah. And I personally feel as a reader, I think you did a really good job of giving us something familiar yet fresh. So thank
0: you. You walked
1: that line. Well, I appreciate Yay. that. And the little details that you mentioned that were like fun to throw in anybody who like listens to this podcast will come across those little points and be like, oh, I knew what that is. And they're Like, Hey, she did that. Like, that's always fun. So yeah. Bravo. Thanks. Um, okay, so my story, um, because yeah, Lillian um pounced on me with this amazing little chunk of writing, and I was like, okay, so at least now I have uh like a like a length that I should kind of strive mm-hmm. for about like how much writing I should do. Um, and then I was kind of starting to think, you know, the same process of like, okay, do I wanna tell a story that exists within um the existence of Jane Eyre as it is, or do I wanna tell something before, after, you know, tangentially kind of a thing? and what i was coming to one thing that i landed on that i wanted to pursue cuz i guess again with this idea that i'm kind of driven by like different scenarios um i have been very intrigued about the relationship that jane and rochester have in their married life during the time when he had lost his vision Um, because even once, um, at the end of the story, you know, we get this implication that his sight is kind of coming back again, um, when Mm -hmm. he like gets to like see his child for the first time. But I wanted to kind of explore what it was like for them to sort of navigate the hurdles of this handicap, um, and- Mm -hmm. you know, how they might deal with that. Um, and I didn't want to do anything that was too kind of like moody. They had enough of that in their lives. So mm-hmm. I wanted like to find beautiful ways to explore this new way that they are helping one another. Um yeah. and so that's kind of what I was going for. So my story is called Through Your Eyes. And it takes place after the events of Jane Eyre, and it's meant to be sort of their like honeymoon in Europe, essentially. Mm-hmm. It's the idea that they've, they've gone off to do this adventure, and now they're kind of starting to experience things. And my story takes place in Paris. Um, so that's kind of the setup for mine. Uh, and I will read a little chunk from the beginning here. The last seven days had been a whirlwind, a private cabin as they crossed the Strait of Dover, the carriages driven through the French countryside, Grand hotels, accueil de Paris, all the while Edward was beside her, leading her on memory alone. It broke Jane's heart at first that her husband could not share in her wonderment. The sights that dazzled her so were mere shapes and shadows to her cherished companion. But when Jane expressed this concern, Edward did not lament. Instead, he took her hand in his and spoke gently, saying, I have already seen it, Jane. I remember the landscape clearly. The streets and the architecture are preserved in my mind as they were then. Painted in the glow of youth. And that's how they'll remain. Untainted. He paused, reflectively, then said with a grin, Now I get to see the city anew, through your eyes. Describe the view for me, Janet. And she did so with pleasure. So that's one chunk of my story. Um, but since Lillian had a little bit of a longer one, I'm going to do a little scroll down and get another chunk. Let's see here. Okay, so kind of give you a taste of kind of what I talked about, how I really like to kind of set the setting and kind of describe scenes and such. Um, I'll read this next little chunk, which is the kind of idea of the climax of this little story is that Edward wants to show Jane um, a painting that he saw once when he was here long ago, and it meant a lot to him. And because she is an artist and he knows she would appreciate it, he surprises her by like taking her to this art studio to go and see it and meet the, the painter. And it's kind of about how they get to bond over that experience of um, enjoying this piece of art. So, on the top floor of the building, in a room made almost entirely of glass... Jane stepped into a space that had long called to her from some conscious dreaming. It was an artist's workshop, crowned with canvases, easels, sculptures, and every imaginable tool and pigment you could think of. Her little hands tightened around Edward's arm, causing him to smile as he placed a loving kiss upon her forehead. Welcome to the workshop of Monsieur Baudin, a master painter and someone I was privileged to know in youth. His voice was quiet as his words brushed past her ear, adding to the thrill. And I could, I don't know, there's a whole bunch of like dialogue and stuff I could go into, but that just gets more silly to do because the character I'm picturing for that is this kind of eccentric old artist (laughs) man. So anyway, there you guys go. There's a chunk from mine. (laughs) That's So I had such a blast reading
0: yours and it was so deeply... Piper to me. Like there were so Mm -hmm. many reflections of Piper in this to me. And it's so, I'm so excited to talk to you about all of them, but like, um, I, you talked a bit about kind of why you were thinking of this time and this window of like between them falling back in love and, um, or not falling back in love, but being able to be in love together again, Mm -hmm. um, and him getting his sight back. Um, but I think it's an interesting, you touched on this a little bit, But it's an interesting thing to take something um, that could be so dark, like the rest of the story, and choose to make it this just like deeply happy epilogue. (laughs) Um, And how did you sort of approach, I'm curious about how you approached Rochester's mood and attitude um, about taking Jane to Paris um, and how you made that happy, like how you pictured that in your head.
1: Ooh, awesome question. Um, So I liked the idea because when, like before they're married, like both times, um, mm-hmm. and then it seems like around that, they're always kind of talking about going away together. And mm-hmm. I think it's something that we talked about in your story of this thing that I think really connect really connects them is their kind of love for seeing the world and kind of escaping um, familiar places. So, although I feel like, you know, at first in his blindness, I'm sure it would take a lot of encouragement to get Rochester to want to like, let alone leave that little house. Cause I think he's kind of embarrassed of, you know, how he might be perceived um, outside of this kind of safe little community that he's built up in this new home. Um, but I feel like Jane could do it cause she's strong-willed <laughs> and he would want to please her. So if she's like, you promised me that you would take me to see the world, so let's do it. And he would be like, okay, for you, anything. Sure. Let's go. Um, and I think even though maybe inside he has this kind of feeling of like either both nervousness or kind of, um, like, low self-esteem, definitely, of him being like, I kind of hate that I now have to go to these beautiful places and be seen as, like, less of a man than maybe I was when I was there Mm. the first time. He is a very proud person. And so I think something that he does is he does his best to just kind of try to navigate the world without letting anyone know that he's inhibited or feeling these feelings of, like, not being 100% confident in his environment. Um, there's a couple of scenes that I describe in my story where the way that they kind of traverse the city is that he has such a vivid memory of like the layout of Paris and where certain things are that if they walk together, Jane can kind of describe like the streets and certain landmarks around them. And then he can tell her Mm -hmm. where to go from there. So even though he can't see, he's kind of guiding her and she's guiding him in return. And that was an idea that I really wanted to explore. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, I really
1: liked that. That I picked that up in your story.
0: That's something I love in Jane Eyre. That you reflect back really well in this is the idea that they are equals, mm-hmm. and that society might not see them that way. And how interesting it is to add this layer of um, a disability of not of being blind. Um, taking that layer and adding it in so that society again thinks of them as unequal Mm -hmm. um, and certainly not equal to any, to um, an able-bodied man. Um, But to then take that and say, no, we're still equals. And through leaning on each other's strengths, we're equal to anyone. Like we're, uh, this has nothing to do, like we're, there's no, kind of sitting and wallowing, which I think is in direct contrast to Rochester immediately prior to when your story takes place and when Jane comes back, mm-hmm. um, that he was wallowing and that yeah. now he has Jane. So ev- everything is better. And that's yes. the feeling this whole story has. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> so how did you come up with the idea of uh, the painting and like having them go see this artist?
1: So like you, I mostly wrote this in one sitting um, and I first just kind of sat down and sort of exploring the idea of, you know, how would they spend their time in Paris together? Um, And after I'd like done a couple of little like summary establishing scenes, I was like, okay, there needs to be kind of a conclusion scene that is not so much of just like general talking about their activities, but more like a specific thing that they can experience together. And i personally, as an artist myself, it's something I've always loved about Jane, that she is an artist and has an appreciation for that. And I was kind of thinking about what Rochester would think back of fondly of his time in Paris, Um, apart from like, you know, the heartbreak that he had with Celine and other things like that. I think we've talked about how there, you can kind of tell that he has an appreciation for art himself, the way that he questions Jane Mm -hmm. about her art. And so I liked the idea that while he was here as a young man before that was something that he was really drawn to and immersed himself in is the like artist community that is in Paris. And so I liked the idea that that could be something he could share with her, um, something that they could like really bond over. And the scene itself, I think just kind of took shape. I was thinking, honestly, I got a lot of inspiration from, uh, I think it's the movie ever after the way that, um, in that film, it's like a retelling of Cinderella. And I think Michelangelo is like the, yeah. the famous artist who's kind of the side character in it. who spends a lot of time with um, Ella and the Prince and stuff like that. And so that's kind of like what I was embodying for this artist of being this kind of like eccentric, fun, old man who can yeah. kind of like break the tension and like bring levity and clarity to certain things to these two. So um, I, I, liked the idea that there was like this painting that Rochester saw once and pursued the artist cause he wanted to buy it, but the guy was so insistent that he wouldn't sell it to him. So, but through the time that he spent trying to convince him, they became good friends. Um, mm. so they have this relationship and yeah, then when I got to the picture itself, it's one of those things where I'm like, well, I can't describe the perfect painting, so I'm going to make it vague <laughs> and then people can fill in their imaginations for what they think it might be. Um, but it was just kind of, again, the through your eyes kind of thing of saying, yeah. I remember what the painting looked like, but it, even at different stages of my life, I took something different from it. So tell me what you see now and I'll see it as you do. Well, and I think it's so interesting
0: too, because as you said, like travel and art were two of the big places that Rochester and Jane were so connected. And it's something that like, I hadn't thought of until you put this story together of like, well, what would that look like with, Rochester having not being able to see, would they still enjoy travel? Would they be able to still enjoy art? Like, would Jane stop painting or or at least stop talking to him about it because she doesn't want him to feel bad that he can't see it? And for instead Rochester to be the one not only continuing to encourage her to enjoy art but like introducing her to the art world that he's had the privilege of being able to engage in um and being it's one of the like great things when in the relationships that I really love is you celebrate each other's wins and you celebrate even the things that like it does it it is harder for him to enjoy art Mm -hmm. but he still enjoys it because he enjoys her love of that
1: yes absolutely and I think that's something like we've talked about how he's um like a gift giver he's a provider and so I think most of their like married lives would pretty much just be at least in my happy fantasy of it it's rochester just like trying to give jane gifts or experiences that will make her happy mm-hmm. <laughs> so i just wanted like to kind of sit in that moment and for yeah. them i also had a lot of fun like earlier in the in the little story they kind of des- i describe a scene where like the second week in paris they're recognized by like an old friend of his um mm-hmm. and the person is like horrified by the story that they heard like through <laughs> rumors and then also was like fascinated by like his quote unquote like grotesque like injuries. And so he's like he's like oh my god like I have to like take you around and show you off and all this other stuff. And so there's a while when like Jane and Rochester like can't escape this guy and yeah. like the social groups that he's pulling them into. And I have this little scene where they're like at a party and Jane is overwhelmed and she's like I don't know how to mingle with these people. They keep breaking all the customary rules and I'm so overwhelmed. And she like notices how composed Rochester seems to be and thinks back on like that act that he put on Mm -hmm. um, when the, ingrams were over and then like there's a moment when they have a, a brief moment together and he leans over and he's like for the love of god get me out of here like, <laughs> i don't want to be here anymore and she's like oh my god me neither and they like escape the party but it's so good <laughs> the little introverts they yeah. just don't wanna
0: exactly. they like each other and they don't really like anybody else
1: <laughs> it's so cute
0: <laughs> um but yeah i think it's uh is there anything else kind of with where you left them off or kind of how, did you do research on Paris? You also use a lot of
1: French in this. Yeah, I didn't really. So I, I use Google translate, um, for cool. like words in Paris in uh, French. Um, cause I feel, I figured both, I mean, Jane obviously can speak it. It's also implied that Rochester can as well. So mm-hmm. I have both of them speaking French. Um, and there's a couple of lines of just random people who wouldn't address them in English. So i just translated it over to French. Um, But I wanted that for just, it felt a bit more authentic. Um, Although the grammar is only as good as what Google Translate gives me. So apologies (laughs) if anyone who's a French speaker reads this and they're like, you Googled this. And I'm like, yeah, I did.
0: (laughs) But I like the streets and stuff that you described. Are those just made up imaginary Piper streets
1: or are those real Paris streets? Those are made up imaginary Piper streets. I I was, I took so many like little like tidbits of inspiration from other media that I love. So like I was picturing, um, in the marvelous Miss Maisel when her Mm, mom runs away to Paris, I was picturing like that kind of like little artist like community that she goes to live in and yeah. Um, the name that I chose for this painter, uh, I've been watching the Gilded Age and they have a French chef who turns out to be actually a man from Arkansas who's pretending to be a French chef, but his name is Monsieur Baudin, And so that's what the name I chose for this guy. Cause I was that's like, ah, oh, so that works.
0: Piper's <laughs> fake Frenchman is a fake Frenchman from a yeah. TV show she watched. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, that's so there's little good. things like that. But yeah, Yeah. um,
1: where do you picture Adele during this story, Piper? Well, she's definitely not with them because they definitely (laughs) want to have as much sex as possible. Um. (laughs) (laughs) They can't have their adoptive daughter running around. Um, So I think she is hanging out uh, back home with Miss Fairfax and um, uh, all those other people. And Pilot, obviously. Yeah, she and the dog are having a little adventure.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you uh did you have other scenarios that you considered writing for this um that you dismissed good
1: question um I think for a fleeting second I was like I could write a romantic scene but I was like I don't need to do that (laughs) we don't need to like submit each other to each spicy ideas yeah
0: I did I don't think we need to read each other's spicy versions of Jane Eyre I think that's
1: (laughs) there's nothing wrong with that we're not doing it for the podcast (laughs) No, nah, because then we couldn't read those aloud. I'd be giggling yeah. too much. Um, we yeah, Piper and I start talking about sex, and we both immediately get giggly, and yes. that's
0: because we're adults. We're uh-huh. almost thirty, guys. Yeah. So that means <laughs> that you still giggle about sex. Oh, I totally do. It's still
1: funny. Yeah,
0: <laughs> people get naked and put their bits together. They
1: do put their that's bits hilarious. together. And they're bumping uglies. <laughs> That's, um,
0: we're gonna write we are gonna write a sex scene for Jane Eyre but it's gonna be exactly like in this
1: language they got naked, and then their bits went together <laughs> oh my god that'd be amazing <laughs> so good a Jane Eyre sex scene is written by 14 year olds <laughs> but they're really 30 <laughs> yes <laughs> oh my gosh um I don't know I think uh I tend to, I don't tend to workshop a lot of stuff. I get an idea mm. and I run with it kind of like you did. So yeah. yeah, I was just like, oh, let's just talk about um, cute blind cuddles.
0: <laughs> it did become hard for me, like while I was writing this to not like go off on random tangents down other like points along the way. Like there were so many things that like, as I was picturing this modern world, um, I was like oh, and this would be interesting and this would be how she would have gone to school and this like, because you have to think about like, I gave way more context than I think I really needed to for this uh, because it could have just been like in isolation and people wouldn't know or they wouldn't. But I kept being like, well, she probably went to a school like this. And this is probably the situation with Helen. And this is probably what Mrs. Fairfax is like. And she's probably closer with Leia than she was in the book because in modern times it would make more sense for the nanny and the governess to be friends. But then why do they have a nanny and a governess for a little, one little girl in 2023? Because
1: <laughs> she's a handful, Lillian. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you should use those ideas and keep writing. You should extend your story.
0: Oh, I our listeners would have to tell me they were going
1: to read it because I'm not writing it just for me. Yeah. Well, there's <laughs> the other internet. things I'm writing just for me. Oh, there we go. <laughs> awesome. Um, this was so fun to go back and reread these because we originally mm-hmm. read them back when we did our original fan fiction episode. So it was fun to go back to get immersed in these scenes again. Um, and it was just a blast. So yeah. These stories are on the AirBuds website. Um, I also uploaded mine to my fanfiction page. Um, I am Olivia018, I think. Hang on, I'll double check that. Um, But you guys can go and read them. Tell us what you think. Um, Oh, I'm Olivia028 on Uh fanfiction.net if you want to read all of my stories. Um, Uh, but if you go on our
0: website and look at my story, I did spend what is arguably way too much time making the
1: cover image for mine, Mm, but it is Uh, lovely. So well worth the look. And she picked like the perfect random French Parisian painting set for mine. So (laughs) well done. (laughs) Um, but yeah, we want to hear your guys' thoughts and as Mm -hmm. always, um, you know, sometimes you guys send us fan fictions you think we should read. So that's always fun. Um, always looking for more stuff to snuggle up to and, have the story continue for these characters that we love, so send us your fan fiction, send us your thoughts on ours airbuds at gmail.com and at airbuds on all social platforms um and
0: next week, we did not talk about this off air because I did do a forget um but next week is a, another palette cleanser episode. um Piper and I have talked about doing this either as a uh, um potentially doing it the way we normally do it where we actually ask people what they want to watch but I kind of want to just skip it because it's our last one and it's our Christmas one and I really want to watch the George C. Scott Christmas Carol let's do it then we're gonna watch the George C. Scott Christmas Carol so next week um uh it'll be December when you guys are listening to this um it'll be our last palate cleanser that we're doing uh before the end of the podcast. Um, and, uh, we, we want to
1: talk about the Christmas Carol and we want to watch George C. Scott do it. Um, I am very excited to see him in other things because the only other thing that I know him from, actually, I know him from two other things. He is in, um, uh, oh, it's called, um, how I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb. Um, Dr. Strange love an incredible, yeah. incredible satirical movie that you, everyone should see if you haven't already. Um, He's in Doctor Strange Love, and then he also voices um McLeach, the villain from Rescuers Down Under. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, when you look, now that I know that, when you look at the character, I'm like, okay, this is definitely, like, his design is inspired by Jorsey Scott. It kind of looks so like good. him. So... <laughs> um, I know him from Patton
0: because my dad made us watch a lot of military movies as a child. Nice. Yeah. He's
1: like, stand by this cannon, watch these films. <laughs> it is your obligation as my daughter. <laughs> and I did it because I'm a good
0: daughter. Yay. Um, all right. Yeah. You can tell us, tell us all of your thoughts. I think we said, did we give our email and socials? Sure did. Great. Then we're done. We did it. I would rate yours a 10 out of 10. Perfect.
1: Perfect story. Oh, I rate yours a 10 out of 10 too. I oh my 10 God. out of 10 quills for writing. We're totally, we're totally unbiased. And cute. we're rating
0: each other's stories. Cute. <laughs> um, if you're doing quills, then I'm going to do a paintbrush for yours. Oh, nice. I love it. Awesome. Cute.
1: We did it. Ooh. We're cute and adorable. Um, Yay. Bye guys. Happy Jane Eyre reading and watching. See you later. Bye.